We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall never surrender until in God's good time, the new world with all its power and might steps forth to the rescue and the liberation of people. In times of universal deceit, truth is the only rebellion left. On today's show, I just wrote an article criticizing chronological snobbery and the arrogance of thinking that we know more than those that came before us, and I immediately received an email saying this, Stop dividing this country, you hateful, miserable, ugly, old piece of blank, you're America's number one enemy. I'll discuss this and more on today's rebellion. Welcome to today's show. Thanks for listening in to The Rebellion. Today's topic, chronological snobbery. Now, if you listen frequently to the show, you know that I have circled back to this particular idea time and time again throughout the course of the last several months. I talk about the arrogance of assuming that our way of thinking today is always, by definition, better than the ways that our forefathers thought. C.S. Lewis called this chronological snobbery. And it's that particular topic, that particular idea that I want to zero in on today. I'll actually go and read Lewis's definition of chronological snobbery from his spiritual autobiography, which is titled Surprised by Joy. It's in that book and others where he actually defines what he means by chronological snobbery. The Piper paraphrase of that is, again, where you think you know more than your mom and dad, your grandma and grandpa, and everybody that preceded you. The, the new idea, by definition, is always superior to anything that's five minutes old. Now, I'm exaggerating a bit there, but you get my point. That we're smarter than everybody else that preceded us. That we know better what the definition of a male or a female is. We know better what the definition of socialism and communism is. We can discard all of the ideas that preceded our day and our time, preceded us, because we are smarter than Thomas Jefferson. We are smarter than Alexander Hamilton. We are smarter than John Adams. We are smarter than the Apostle Paul when it comes to, oh, let's say the definition of sexual morality. And we are smarter than even the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos and Micah, and their warnings that seem to be so spot on for our day. We just chuck all of the wisdom of the ages, and we pretend we're smarter than everybody else. Often when I'm in a debate with somebody, I like to say, well, you know, I just don't think I'm smarter than C.S. Lewis or G.K. Chesterton or William Wilberforce. I don't think I'm as bright as Thomas Jefferson and John Adams. I actually think I might be able to learn a thing or two from these guys that appear to have an IQ that's maybe a point or two greater than mine. Now, I think that is the proper approach to, to reading about and considering and contemplating the the ideas of our day as well as the ideas of the past. I'm not claiming that the old ways are perfect. I'm not claiming that Thomas Jefferson was infallible. 
Oh, not at all. They made mistakes. But as I read the definition of chronological snobbery to you, you'll understand that what Lewis was arguing for was not the wholesale acceptance of old ideas, but what he was arguing for was weighing old ideas against new ideas and new ideas against old ideas, getting more than one mind, if you will, in the debate so that you don't continue to make the same mistakes over and over again, right? So that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to use the context of this email that I received with regard to the column that I wrote for the Washington Times this past weekend, which played off of my critique of Aaron Rodgers and his disrespect for his parents, an idea, a topic that we've already discussed in a previous show. I'll go back and review that very quickly one more time, and then we'll talk about chronological snobbery. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion, and I'll be right back in a couple minutes. Welcome back to The Rebellion. So my column this past weekend for the Washington Times was focused on this story of Aaron Rodgers and how he was interviewed recently by Danica Patrick, his former girlfriend, and how he was asked in that interview on that podcast why he had shifted his beliefs and when he had shifted his thinking on religion, on Christianity. And Rogers basically said that he started doing that during his high school years and that he started questioning the faith that had been handed down to him by his parents because it was too black and white and too binary. That's his language. And that he considered religion to be a crutch. I shared with you how his parents were apparently offended by that because People Magazine reported that they considered Rogers's comments, his public comments, his disparaging of their faith to be a slap in the face, that they were hurt by his repudiation of Orthodox Christianity and the way they had taught him. I shared with you that I thought there was a ton in this story. I talked about how it uh, highlighted the duplicity of this Uh, This man sharing that he doesn't think binary rules when it comes to Christianity, religion, and morality make any sense, but yet he lives within a profession. He makes $33 million a year by living, what? Within the boundaries, the rules of the game of football. Binary rules. But yet, binary rules in daily living outside of the football field, I guess, are unacceptable. That makes no sense to me. That seems to be a little duplicitous. I talked about how this story highlighted the shallowness of youth groups and how they're elevating fun over facts and therefore we're producing a generation of quote-unquote believers that haven't been properly catechized and can't even define their own faith. That it seems to be Uh, evidence, Roger's story seems to be more evidence of a generation of people that want to condemn their creator, God, for being condemning. In other words, they were, they're very eager to turn around and condemn God, but yet when God condemns our behavior, when God condemns us, then God is not a loving God. Does this smack of hypocrisy to you? And then I said, foremost in this story is the disrespect. It screams of chronological snobbery of a football player who apparently thinks he's smarter than his mom and dad, um, his grandma and grandpa, and frankly, he's even claiming to be smarter than Peter and Paul and James and John and even Jesus, for that matter. This 
this doesn't make any sense. This is arrogance. This is hubris. And Rogers is a millennial. He's on the older end of the millennial scale, but he's a millennial. And I said this smacks of the millennial hubris that is so prevalent in our country right now. And as you know, last week I said I've been reading in the book of Proverbs and I've been struck by how many times it says, listen, my son, to your father's instruction. Don't forget my teaching. Uh, Listen, my son, to your father's discipline. Don't abandon my teaching. Pay attention to my words, my son. Don't lose sight of them. Keep them in your heart. Listen to me. Listen and be shrewd. You who are inexperienced, this is what Solomon says. If you don't have experience, in other words, if you're young and you haven't been around the block as many times as those that have preceded you, you might want to listen. The Bible is clear on that. In fact, one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and your mother. So I said in my column something very similar to what I said last week. I said this. Every day I become more and more convinced that one of the primary sins of our time is the dishonoring of our parents. We've raised an entire generation to think that anyone five minutes older than them is an ignorant fool. We now live in a nation of 30-something adolescents who disparage the founders of our country and who smirk at the patriarchs of the faith. Ours is now a culture of smug snowflakes who think their new ways are always better than the old. Our courts and our Congress and our corporations, and yes, even our sports, are now awash with a bunch of perpetual children who would rather have fun than acknowledge the facts. A bunch of 40-year-old know-it-alls who think everyone six months their senior is stupid. And then I concluded and I said this, At the very time our father's ways are being proven right over and over again in spades on a minute-by-minute basis in the daily news, we have a country of chronological snobs who are so fixated at gazing at their own navels that they can't see the houses of fire that they've lit the match and they're in it. Close quote. Well, in response to that column, I got this email. It came in yesterday at 4.56 p.m., I'm not going to share with you who it came from. That's not important. But somebody took the time to look up my personal email address, and they sent me this. Just literally minutes after that article was published online in the Washington Times. And the email said this, and I'm quoting. I'm going to, I am going to bleep out the portion that I don't think I can say or should say on radio or in this podcast for uh, risk of offending you. But this is what the email says. Stop dividing this country, you hateful, miserable, ugly, old piece of blank. You're America's number one enemy, close quote. That's all the email said. I'm going to read it to you one more time. Stop dividing this country, you hateful, miserable, ugly, old P.O.S. You're America's number one enemy, close quote. Now, isn't it interesting, do you find it ironic that I write an article on chronological snobbery and the first response I get is that you're a hateful, miserable, ugly, old piece of blank. You're America's number one enemy. So I'm an an enemy of America, according to this email, because I'm what? Hateful, miserable, ugly, and old. That's what this email says. They're committing the very thing I just 
said was a problem. They're saying, because I guess I'm older than them, that that makes my opinion completely irrelevant, that it is excrement, that I am ugly for saying it, that I am old and I should shut up and sit down, that I am hateful because I dared to challenge the contemporary narrative. Isn't that interesting that they apparently can't see the forest for the trees? They don't recognize that they just proved my point. They just said that the only rebuttal they have is to make reference to appearance, to call somebody names, and to say they're too old to be worthy of listening to. That's what they just said. They don't challenge the premise of my argument. They ignore it completely. And therefore, they commit the same sin that I'm challenging, that I'm highlighting. And they therefore shine a light on the veracity, the accuracy, the legitimacy of the very point that they can't stomach and they can't handle. C.S. Lewis said this. This is his definition of chronological snobbery, and it comes out of his 1955 work, Surprised by Joy. He says this, Chronological snobbery is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our age, and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. Now, I want to read that to you again. Sometimes this language from the old British way of communicating is a is a little different than the way we talk today, and therefore I want to make sure you get your head wrapped around what he's saying. Let me go back and read that again. Chronological snobbery is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age, and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. So it's this uncritical acceptance of the, the current climate, the intellectual climate common to our age. So the ideas that are common to the current day, the popular ideas, the ideas, the intellectual ideas, the climate of the current debate, those ideas are accepted uncritically. And it's assumed that any ideas that preceded them can be discredited just because they're older ideas. He goes on and he says this, you must find why it went out of date. So if you're going to discredit something, you might want to ask the question, why? Not because it's old or older than your current ideas, than the popular ideas, than the progressive ideas, than those things that are in vogue and accepted in the current narrative. You might want to ask the question, why did the old ideas go out of date in the first place? Was it ever refuted? Okay, this person that's calling me names and saying that I should be silenced, I am America's number one enemy because I'm old, I'm ugly, and my ideas, therefore, are unworthy. Did, did this person bother to refute what I was saying? Did they bother to challenge anything that I based my argument upon? No, they said nothing. So back to Lewis. Lewis asks this question. He says, was the idea ever refuted, and if so, by whom and how conclusively? Or did it merely die away as fashions do? 
And then he says this, if the later, if it just died away as fashions die away, this tells you nothing about the truth or falsehood of the idea. From seeing this, one passes to the realization that our own age is also a period, a fashion, if you will, and certainly, like all other periods, has its own characteristic illusions. So essentially, Lewis is saying this, all of us, all of us might want to take a spoonful of humility and admit that our current way of thinking is probably going to be laden with as many mistakes, as many illusions, to use his language, as any period that preceded us. And when subsequent generations look back at us, they're going to say, y'all got that one wrong. You all missed the mark on that one. That's the nature of the way we live, that all of us are swimming in the water, if you will, of our own deception, and we don't recognize the fact that we're even wet. Or another analogy might be the frog in the kettle, that the heat is being turned up all the time with um, politically correct ideas, groupthink and whatnot. We don't even recognize that we're being boiled alive by our own deceptions, our acceptance of things that simply aren't true. So what's Lewis's point? How do you solve that problem? Well, that's what I'm arguing for in this story about Aaron Rodgers, that when you discard the wisdom of the past, when you just start saying that your mother and father's ideas were nothing but a crutch to make you feel good, to use his language, and when you by inference, suggests that anybody that preceded your mother and father, your grandfather and your grandmother, anybody that had an idea that was grounded in something contrary to your own conclusions, your own ideas, you, when you start assuming that you can discard all of that in kind of an ad hominem way as being a crutch, then you're going to ignore the lessons learned from the past. There's a great article out there by Michael Reeves. It's actually published in 2016. Michael Reeves, R-E-E-V-E-S. It's titled, How to Fight Chronological Snobbery. And in this article, Reeves points out what Lewis's solution was. Lewis spells it out very clearly. Here's one quote from Lewis that Reeves cites. The only palliative is to keep the clean sea breeze of the centuries blowing through our minds. Quote, unquote, C.S. Lewis. Well, what's he mean by that? Essentially, he's saying this. Lewis is saying this, and Reeves in his article is agreeing, that if we refuse, if you and I refuse to imprison ourselves in our stuffy little broom closets of the present age, if we refuse to stay confined on our little islands of safety and what seems familiar and what the fact-checkers at Facebook and Twitter have told us is acceptable thinking, if we refuse to be confined in that closet or on that island and we just open the doors up a bit and look outward rather than fixating inward, we're going to experience something. You know what it is? Fresh air, new thinking, The horizons will be bigger and grander than your little tiny enclaves of self-congratulatory thinking. Lewis said it this way, and this is very interesting. I want you to listen to this one. Lewis said a good rule is this. After reading a new book, never allow yourself another new one until you have read an old one in between. Did you hear that? 
after reading a new book, after digesting a new idea, if you will, never allow yourself another new one until you've read an old one in between. Why? Why does Lewis say this? Well, he explains. The old ideas, he says, will not flatter us in the errors we are already committing. And their own errors, the old people, the old way of thinking, yes, they have errors too, but he says this, their own errors being now open to us will not endanger us. Two heads are better than one, not because either is infallible, but because they are unlikely to go wrong in the same direction. Do you get that? Uh, When I argue for the old ways rather than the new ways, I'm not saying that those people that preceded us were infallible. They clearly made mistakes. But history, the discussion, the open, robust exchange of those ideas has allowed us to correct those ideas if they were wrong and to retain those ideas if they were right. Again, back to Lewis's point. The ancient ideas, the ideas of history, the time-tested ideas will not flatter us in the errors we are already committing. And their own errors, the errors that are endemic to the past, are now open to us. We see them, and because we see them, we've debated them, and we've challenged them. Those ideas will not endanger us if they were wrong, but if they are right ideas, They will enliven us. They will enrich us. And they might actually stop us from making the same errors again. The old ways are not infallible, but two heads are better than one. In other words, there's wisdom in the debate. Having more than one view on the table is is helpful. And the views that have stood the test of time might, might deserve a little bit of our respect. And if you're going to discard them, do so not because they're just unfashionable or you don't find them to be as popular as the current ideas. Discard ideas because they're false and retain ideas because they're true. And weighing current ideas against those ideas that have preceded them is a good way. It's at least one of the ways to determine what's true and what's false. Remember the quadrilateral. History reason, experience, and revelation. Well, history is the respect of the old ideas. It's doing what Lewis tells us to do. It's reading an old book every time you read a new one and balancing the new ideas against those old ideas and trying to determine what ideas actually are true with a capital T and what ideas were broken perhaps in the past and need to be discarded or maybe what ideas you have right now that don't measure up to the test of time that the current idea, let's just say an infatuation with socialism doesn't measure up to the test of time because history teaches us, tradition teaches us the facts matter and the facts are that 100,000, excuse me, 100 million people have been killed at the hands of Marxist ideology. So why in the world would you want to return back to that same old mess time and time again thinking that you can get it right this time? No, you won't get it right this time because the idea, the premise in and of itself is wrong. It has been proven wrong throughout the course of history. And your modern-day, postmodern infatuation with that particular worldview 
is probably not going to end well. So, back to the issue of chronological snobbery as we get ready to end the show. Why do I use Aaron Rodgers and his story as an example of that, as a poster child of that? It's not because I'm trying to be mean to Aaron Rodgers. In fact, I respect a lot of what he's doing right now. I respect his independent spirit. I respect the fact that he's calling out the government and the cultural narrative, the groupthink, that um, seems to be so evident in our response to COVID. He has the strength to call that out, and he's been criticized broadly for it. Frankly, I'm grateful that he has. But I use him as a poster child for chronological snobbery because of the way he responds to the questions of religion and, more specifically, Christianity. Because his answers are not well-grounded. They, they don't have any roots. They're, they're very shallow. His answers are shallow in the sense that his ideas about religion and Christianity are contemporary. They're, they're his ideas. They're the ideas of his peers. They're the ideas of the fashionable religious leaders of our time, such as Rob Bell and Oprah Winfrey or whatnot. Aaron Rodgers is disrespecting the wisdom of his parents, the wisdom of his grandparents, and the wisdom of the church fathers. He's actually disrespecting the wisdom of the very writers of Scripture, of John and Jude and Peter and Paul. Aaron Rodgers is suggesting that the new way of thinking about Christianity is better than the founding fathers of Christianity, of even Jesus himself. That's chronological snobbery, and it needs to be challenged. Again, back to Lewis and his definition of chronological snobbery. Chronological snobbery is the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. C.S. Lewis, it's the uncritical acceptance of the intellectual climate common to our own age and the assumption that whatever has gone out of date is on that account discredited. That is chronological snobbery. In other words, just because something is older, it's gone out of date, it's discredited by virtue of time? No. This would be akin to discrediting ideas and truth and wisdom, what's right and what's wrong, in the same frivolous way that we discredit fashions. Well, bell-bottoms are no longer fashionable, so just throw them out. Our ideas are no longer fashionable, so we'll throw those out likewise? That's what Aaron Rodgers is doing when he answers the question of Christianity. That's why I hold him up as a poster child, in this case, of chronological snobbery. I'm Dr. Everett Piper, and this is The Rebellion. <laughs>